the history of the Methodist Church has many times of division and unification. In 1939, the Methodist Episcopal Church, the Methodist Episcopal Church South, and the Methodist Protestant Church unified together to be called simply the Methodist Church. At the time of this reunification, it was a time of celebration. It was a time of excitement. There were hymns being sung, and yet there was also deep, deep pain. One of the primary reasons that the Methodist Episcopal Church split off and had the Methodist Episcopal Church South in 1945 was over the issue of slavery. And at this reunification of these churches, racism was still a distinct issue. At the time, the solution adopted by the leaders of the Methodist Church was to take anyone in a congregation that had dark skin and place them into a group not based on geography, but based off the color of your skin, so that Americans who had only lived in the United States were grouped with other churches in Africa, other parts of the world, because the thinking was your dark skin had more in common than where you lived, where you worshiped, or who your neighbors were. And so we had dark-skinned individuals in the United States who had worshipped side by side with people with lighter colored skin now being segregated even in their place of worship, saying your friends and your neighbors aren't your friends and neighbors anymore. You've got more in common with people over here in this other part of the world. And so they created what was called the central jurisdiction. It was based entirely on race. The leaders who came up with this solution in their mind were completely in the right that they were completely following God's will. They, in their minds, they were honoring a distinct heritage and a distinct understanding. And in their mind, they were honoring and putting forth this heritage rather than realizing the common heritage of being Methodist or being American. Their own biases were sort of blocking what they were doing and was, was influencing that, and they could not or they would not see that what they were doing was not in the right. They, they were completely convinced that they were in the right. They could not see that they were persecuting someone else and causing pain and causing harm. Sometimes the difference between right and wrong can be difficult to see. Sometimes as Christians, we are so confident that we are in the right that we cannot see when we are harming or hurting someone else. And the history of Christianity proves that out. In our day and age, we ignorantly think that we are beyond that evil. We ignorantly think that because of my beliefs, I am in the right. And yet we fail to, be, to see that even when we are fully right, when we think we are fully right, when we fully believe that, we cannot see when we are persecuting or harming someone else. The main character in our scripture today is Saul. Saul was a Pharisee, which meant that he was a leader of Jews. He was a teacher, 
which meant that he was in charge of answering questions about the law. He interpreted the law. He was a devout Jew, and he was zealous. He was zealous for the Jews. Now, the Jewish leaders thought, they thought, if we can get rid of this Jesus character, then this sect of Judaism that spun off to the side, that's going to die out, and we can bring everybody back in the fold. And they thought putting to Jesus to death would fix that. Didn't work that way. Instead, this sect has become known as the way, the followers of Jesus. And yet, there were some Jewish leaders that said, okay, these are renegades, and we've got to bring them back into the fold. We've got to bring them back in the fold. And so people like Saul were given the authority to go out and find these followers of Jesus and arrest them and lock them up. Now, those Jewish leaders thought that they were fully in the right. They were devout Jews. They were defending the chosen people of God. They were interpreting the law. Saul knew the law backwards and forwards. He believed that he was fully in the right. None of them honestly thought that they were persecuting people. They didn't think that. They were just trying to bring people back in the fold, bring people back in and protect it. Who is it that we persecute? Who is it that we hurt or harm because we believe we are fully in the right? Who is it that we are damaging because we know with full certainty that we're right with God? Over the past 24 years or so, the United Methodist Church has been bogged down with the issue of homosexuality. Every four years, elected delegates from around the world come together and they make decisions and resolutions to guide and lead the United Methodist Church into the future. The last two times that the General Conference has met, they have been unable to make any headway in the areas that need tending, the areas that truly need attention because this issue has just sort of sucked up everybody's energy and time. We have in the United Methodist Church language that at the very least could be said is ambiguous. We say that homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teachings. And in the same paragraph, we say that we affirm that all people are created by God and therefore all people are welcome to receive God's, God, God's love and grace. We say that all people, regardless of gender, race, or sexual orientation, are not to be denied civil and human rights. We say that we will not allow clergy persons to perform homosexual marriages. We're not allowed to perform such marriages on church property. And anyone who is a professing homosexual cannot be ordained, cannot be clergy. And yet on the other side that we say we have open minds, open hearts, and open doors. At the very least, this language is ambiguous. We have devout Christians, devout United Methodists that say homosexuality is a sin, that marriage is to be limited to heterosexuals, and that any person is gay who cannot be ordained. We have devout Christians and United Methodists who say that stance is so damaging to people who are already ostracized, hurt, abused, and set aside 
that it's already creating damage to the witness of the United Methodist Church and is causing to, rate, to increase the statistics of teenage suicide that we can't live with it anymore. We have people on both sides who fully believe that they are in the right, that they are fully in agreement with God's will, and that the other side is persecuting people, giving false witness to God's love, and damaging the reputation of Jesus Christ. And we have lots and lots of people in between. When the voice came to Saul on the road to Damascus, he heard a voice that said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul didn't think he was persecuting anybody. He didn't think he was doing wrong. He was doing within the will of God. And so he said, who, who are you, Lord? And the answer he gets back is, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Saul, persecuting, no, 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 no. Saul was in the right. Saul was the teacher of the law. How could he possibly have got that wrong? And by the way, how could he possibly be persecuting someone they put to death on the cross? Because you know Saul didn't believe that Jesus was risen from the dead. How is persecuting, what is, how is Saul's action, actions persecuting Jesus? After Jesus spoke to Saul and he stood up, he could not see. He was blinded. They led him into Damascus, and for three days he was blind. It says that he fasted, that he prayed, that he received visions from God. I, I think that he probably spent three days going over again, again and again, all of that law that he had meticulously memorized, trying to figure out, where did I go wrong? Where did I go wrong? Saul was searching for a new vision. At the general conference in 2016 of the United Methodist Church, the delegates did something that has never been done before. The delegates told the Council of Bishops, you have to fix the homosexuality issue because we cannot move forward with anything else. The Council of Bishops created what's called the Commission on the Way Forward. The Commission on the Way Forward is made up of people from both extremes. And when I say that, I mean individuals from around the world in countries outside of our, ours where what we think is conservative doesn't even come close to what they think is conservative. And what they think is liberal doesn't even come close to what we think is liberal. Two extremes beyond anything we have in the United States. And the Commission on the Way Forward is made up of everybody, every opinion in between. It's made up of ordained clergy, and it's made up of lay people from around the world. They have been meeting regularly since 2016. Their report is due to the bishops in September of this year. And then for the first time ever, there's going to be a special conference called in February of 2000. Did I say February of this year? I said September of this year. It's when their report is due. And the special conference will be February of 2019. That conference has one purpose and one purpose only, to accept, reject, or modify what the bishop, Council of Bishops give to the delegates. And that is based off the Commission on the Way Forward on their report, on their advisement. In anticipation of this report coming out, 
our bishop is going around to our conference, the North Texas Annual Conference, and he is making presentations all over the conference to both clergy and lay, presenting how we've gotten to this point, what the work of the Commission of the Way Forward has determined so far, and anticipated thoughts of what might happen in the future. Every clergy person is required to attend one of these. And many, many lay people in our churches have been invited to go. There are people in this room who are going to go Tuesday night to hear what the bishop has to say, to hear the presentation, to hear about what's going on, and hopefully where we're going to move forward. I ask that you be in prayer for us that are going. I ask that you be in prayer for the bishop. This cannot be easy for him to be presenting this and going around and speaking to so many people. It cannot be easy. So I ask you to hold us in your prayers. And the question is, what is the vision that God is calling the United Methodist Church to? In our scriptures, a man named Ananias receives a vision from God telling him to go find this guy Saul. Ananias is fearful. Saul is zealous, very zealous. And trust me when I say Ananias really doesn't want Saul to know who he is, and he'd really like to fly underneath Saul's radar. He doesn't want to go, but he's faithful, and he goes. I'm sure like many of you, when you've read scriptures many, many times, it's, it's kind of fun when something jumps out at you that you hadn't seen before that catches your attention. What caught my attention this week was when Ananias puts his hands on Saul's face and he calls him Brother Saul. That is a term of endearment between believers. Saul, this man who three days before would have locked Ananias up, Ananias is now addressing Brother Saul. Like Ananias, I'm, I think it's pretty clear with my body language, I am fearful. These are conversations that we are going to have to have within this church, and quite frankly, I'd really rather not. But like Ananias, I must be faithful. You may not want to have conversations about homosexuality in this church either. But like Ananias, we must be faithful. Like Saul... Many of us in this room believe that our opinions on this issue is fully within the right. And we have to question that. Are we or are we not? No matter where we stand on the spectrum, are we or are we not? Brother Saul, a term of endearment between believers. This is where the rubber meets the road, and this is where I say the one thing that I want you to leave here with. We will love each other even when we disagree. We disagree with each other on many subjects, by the way. Gun control, politics, health care, immigration, the border wall, interpretation of scripture, football teams, and more. We disagree with each other on a lot of things, and yet we love each other. When we have conversations about homosexuality, and we will, and you will be invited to be in those conversations, we will address each other with respect, we will address each other with kindness, and we will address each other with love. Because we're going to come with listening ears 
We're not going to come in order to convince somebody else to believe the way I do. We are going to come in order to hear different perspectives we haven't heard before. We want to hear from people who are persecuted on either end. We want to hear from people who deeply love people who are persecuted on either end. And in those conversations, we will continue to love each other. And we will love each other even when we disagree with each other. In the United Methodist Church, 80 to 85 percent, that's the estimate, between 80 and 85 percent of United Methodists tend to agree with one side or the other on the homosexuality issue, but 80 to 85 percent say it's not a big enough issue for me to leave my church ever. In other words, if the church is going to split, if one side or the other side are going to peel off, the vast majority of United Methodists say, I'm not leaving my church over that. We are going to love each other. God commands us to love each other. God says, love God, love my neighbor. That includes people we do not agree with. We will have these conversations with humility. We will listen. We will invite God to speak to us. We are going to ask the Holy Spirit that if there are scales on our eyes that need to come off, may they come off. And we will approach that with vulnerability and honesty. We will say, Holy Spirit, help me to love the person sitting next to me and behind me and in front of me the same way I loved them last week. We are going to say, God, help me to love people I don't know yet, people I disagree with. And we're going to, we are going to walk out of those conversations loving each other even better than we do now. Hear this word of good news. When we love and accept each other, we are living into the witness of God's love and grace in Jesus Christ. Love, love, love each other. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.